impact, income, and influence. Do you want the most powerful, actionable takeaways from today's episode? Go to actionbullets.com to grab the quick, easy-to-read takeaways that will help you change your life and grow your business. Or you can click the Action Bullets link in the description below. Let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to Grow Your Impact, Income, and Influence, the number one show for monetization strategy, as well as today, financial literacy and entrepreneurship through leading with listening, shutting your mouth and listening more. I am joined by Mitch Slater, and Mitch started off as an associate producer for Larry King and somehow transitioned to a successful entrepreneur. He runs podcasts called Financially Speaking. He's a financial planner. We are going to have an amazing show today. He has a wealth of information to share. Mitch, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for uh, having me on today. This is uh, this is a lot of fun. Thank no problem. This. Mm -hmm. It is my pleasure. So start us at the beginning. First off, how does a 20-year-old get started working for Larry King? You know, uh, hard work. I mean, it's it's the bottom line is uh, when I got to GW in, in DC in 1978, I was still had the dream of becoming an actor. I'd studied in New York at Northwestern and that was still very much in my blood. And I kind of realized early on when I started working at our college radio station, how much I loved radio. And I immediately just spent my four years attending class every now and then, but mostly focusing on internships, which is actually one of the really good things that GW's program had was the ability to do that, to be in a city like DC where things were constantly happening. So for example, uh, President Reagan uh, was attempted assassination. I happened to have been covering that at the Washington Hilton when it happened. And I wound up being there in the hospital and there's actually TV footage of me standing next to Sam Donaldson um, during this whole thing. He was a little mad that I was in his, uh, his range, but I had every right to be there like him. Uh, so I, I found myself in the middle of all these different things and interning at CBS and working for uh, a guy um, named Charlie Rose, who we don't talk about much anymore, but he had a very popular talk show in DC. And as well as working at DC 101, which was the number one rock station in DC. And I was there one morning at 6 a.m. after they fired the old guy and brought in this crazy DJ from Detroit named Howard Stern. And it was me and Howard Stern. There was no Robin, there was no Baba Booey, there was no anybody else from that world. And he put me on the air and we just had a blast. And one thing led to another. And uh, Larry King happened to be a guest on a show I was working on. I asked him to lunch, the thing you do. He said, let's have dinner. This is what I like to do. I'll meet you at the Palm at 6.30. I met him at the Palm. We talked for two and a half hours before he went and did his radio show. And by 9.30, he offered me a job. He literally said, we need an overnight producer. Let me talk to the executive producer. I'm three months from graduating. I have a stack of rejection letters from every radio station in the country. I mean, I've been working on this for a year and boom, because of the hustle and because of taking the chances that I needed to take, this opportunity through and just showed up in my face. So um, it doesn't just magically happen. It took a lot of hard work. And in some ways, you know, there was, a, there was definitely a method to, to making this happen. 
Well, we're going to get into that method here in just a second, because you, I mean, you guys can't see him because this is an audio podcast, but he's wearing a hat that says, talk less, smile more. I feel like that is probably going to be a mantra, but I want to know how you transitioned. We're going to come back to Larry King, because I think there are some life lessons in just that little story that you shared with us. I mean, first off, you didn't bombard him and say, give me a job. You said, hey, can I take you to lunch? And then he said, let's go to the Palm. First off, what what do you think dinner at the Palm cost at the time? And was that a normal thing for you? Were you well, a little... he held, these are the days where people held court, so to speak. And Larry held court back then at the Palm. He moved to another place, Duke Zebert's uh, in DC. And then years mm-hmm. later in Beverly Hills at Nate Now's. But probably dinner, I don't know, probably was over $100 or something at the time. Um, you know, he's ordering a lobster, I'm ordering a lobster. I mean, I, you know, I honestly don't remember the meal. But what I remember is that we bonded immediately over sports. He started talking baseball. I am a huge baseball fan, a huge New York Met fan. He's a Brooklyn Dodger fan, which kind of morphed into an LA Dodger fan. And we just talked sports. Honestly, two thirds of the conversation were talking about our passions. And I could see this man was very passionate about sports. Obviously, I was listening to him. I listened to him every night on the air. Um, so I, you know, I knew where he was coming from. And we talked sports. And then eventually, I, you know, maybe talked a little bit about the experience that I had. I think he was really intrigued about kind of the um, Waldo Zelligness of my life for the four years where I happened to be in the middle of all these different things. I was on the White House lawn for the uh, peace treaty signing, which uh, was huge in 1979. There's a whole side story to that. I'll leave it for later. But anyway, he, you know, he, he, he just sensed, I guess, my passion, my excitement, my enthusiasm, and it matched where he was. And I don't know. He's just a generous guy. You know, he He's probably made a lot of offers to a lot of people that he couldn't deliver on, but on this one, he was able to deliver. Well, that's, I mean, I think part of what you touched on, you guys connected over sports. He, people, when you start talking to somebody, most likely they know what you do, right? They have an idea of what you do, but to become a trusted person that they know, like, and trust, it's usually bonding on something besides their main thing, besides their job. Sure. What do you do? Okay. I do X, Y, Z. Well, what do you like to do? And then you start talking about hobbies, you start talking about interests, you actually get to know the person, that's where the emotional bond comes from. And then it's very easy because everybody wants the guy that they know, like, and trust. Mm -hmm. So let's pivot. How did you go from associate producer, overnight producer for Larry King to where you are now? Because financial literacy is a huge need. I actually was writing about this this morning, reading the show notes, I think last night made me think about it. It's such a huge need in the world that we live in. And it doesn't seem like the government, schools, colleges, anyone puts any weight on it. So how did you transition from that to the world of being a financial advisor and being in that world? Sure. I'll give you a quick transition story. And I have a lot to say on on how much we suck. And we're 14th in the world when it comes to financial education, which is just pathetic. That being said, my transition took a few different years. After working for Larry King, he uh, attempted to do his first TV show, which actually didn't work, but the producer of it hired me to work on a game show in Los Angeles. I wound up moving out to Los Angeles, working on two or three different shows, 
uh, having a lot of fun actually being a contestant on a show called Love Connection back then. Um, so I had, a, I had a lot of really crazy experiences during my time in LA. Um, but as Springsteen would say, I had debts no honest man could pay by the, by uh, I guess after two years and I had an opportunity to move back to New York to work with another legend in, in the industry at the time, David Suskind. He died after a few months. I moved to Philadelphia. I worked at a public TV and radio station and I started getting involved in fundraising at that point. And that was sort of my first kind of uh, foray into finance. And then as it would be, I met someone and she started commuting to New York. She was a journalist. And my dad had, as a second career, been a financial consultant, what they called it at the time with Merrill Lynch. And in the summer of 1987, before our wedding, he said, you're ready to get a real job now. And I did not for a second think he was being serious, but he made a very strong point to me. And he said, 90% of what I do is communication you are 100% ahead of most of those people that I work with. And he introduced me to his manager. And I said, well, I got nothing to lose. You know, when you got, when you got, nothing, you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. So I went in and I gave it a shot. And I realized early on that um, I could take what I learned in the entertainment and media industry and I can transition and learn what I had to do. But what I learned early on is that this guy who had a father in the business knew absolutely nothing about financial literacy. Um, and over the years, I realized how, you know, one of the huge mistakes we make in this country is we teach trigonometry, we teach algebra, we teach calculus, but I work with a lot of people that are young that are in 401k plans and, you know, most of them don't know what it is. They rely on a father, a spouse or whoever, a boyfriend, girlfriend. Um, and they haven't, it's not their fault. Um, I have a great friend uh, for many years. Her name is Neil Godfrey. She's written all these books on kids and money. And she put it best in a speech that she and I did speeches together for years. And she talked about the Donna Reed generation. For, for those listening, Donna Reed was a TV show in the 1950s and 60s, leave it to beaver kind of type of show where mom would vacuum wearing pearls and dad would come home at six o'clock and everyone would sit down and eat dinner. And it was actually easier in that generation to have the sex talk than it was the money talk. And that's the reality of the baby boomer generation. And honestly, it hasn't really changed and it's getting worse and worse. And I have a friend who wrote a book called Broke Millennials because she's, she's kind of hinged in on the millennial generation. So I made that my mission from day one to really be an educator as well as a financial advisor. So, I mean, I just want to point out to anyone listening because most of the, most of the audience here are entrepreneurs. The thing that allowed you to switch careers and grow your business faster than anything else. And I think part of probably why you had all these serendipitous things happen in your life is because you were better at listening to people and getting to know them. Would you say that is the number one, I wouldn't even call it a trick, the number one skill in being a good communicator is listening and shutting yeah. down your ego so that you can actually hear the other person and communicate. I We're going to come back to financial literacy, but I want to talk specifically about communication because I believe it is the number one skill that leads to success in any area of life, relationships, your love life, your business, anything. I would love to hear you talk just a little bit about communication. 
Well, you are 100% correct. Correct. First of all, checking your ego at the door, I would add to any, anything that you're going to do if you're going to be successful. But I walked away with two lessons, very strong lessons from my experience with Larry King. One of them is listening. Larry said very early on to me, he said, I won't use Larry's voice, which I usually do. But, you know, he said to me, I'll use it. He goes, Mitch, I never learned anything with my mouth open. And that is so true. And I learned that at age 20. So I learned about how important it, it is to listen because I can't respond and help people if I am doing a million other things. And trust me, in this generation of multitasking, and I, I'm not great at that, I'm focused all over the place. So listening is even, even more of a skill these days. But I think as equal as important of a skill is curiosity. And that I also learned from Larry because Larry would sit down every night and whether it was James Michener with his latest book, he hadn't read it, whether it was President Reagan or Carter or Sinatra or um, Hank Aaron, I mean, you know, all these boyhood heroes of mine that I'm, I'm meeting, Larry would ask curious questions. He would put himself in the space of the person laying in bed at 11 o'clock at night, listening to him and wondering themselves, what, what would you think? What would you say to Milton Berle? What would you say to Jerry Lewis or who, whoever it was? So if you combine the listening and you combine the, um, uh, <laughs> oh my God. Well, the We're curiosity. Curiosity. Like, just yeah, the... I, I apologize. This is, my, this is, you know, part of, uh, turning 60 this year. But yeah, listening and curiosity, you combine those together and then you mix them up in a bowl and then you take the word enthusiasm and you take the last four letters of that word, I-A-S-M, I am sold myself, which means you have to believe 100% in what you're doing, in what you're saying, in, in who you're working with and you develop a relationship then I think that's the secret sauce, putting that all together. Hey, I just wanted to take a quick break from this episode. Are you enjoying the stories so far? Would you like to know how to use storytelling and story selling in your business? Check the show notes down below or go to storyselling.how to grab my free mini course on story selling and start implementing this in your business right now. All right, let's jump back to the episode. That is, I mean, that is a... Right there, that is a recipe for success in any business that you are in. Getting 100% clear and sold on what you do and loving what you do, even if it is dry and boring, bonds, stock markets, mm -hmm. um, right? But loving the outcome and loving what it can do for other people and then being curious, listening to them. And I think there are a lot of interviews where people can become combative, right? I mean, Larry King asked some pretty hard hitting questions. I grew up listening to him. Um, <laughs> he was never scared to ask a question that might come across as combative or difficult. But I think his guests always answered because it was asked in a spirit of true curiosity, not in a spirit of I'm right, you're wrong. Let's uncover some dirt. Let's be high drama. Instead, it was, hey, I, I'm just asking because like to me, like it seems crazy, but I would love to hear your side of it. And what's the number one thing that everybody wants to talk about? It's themselves. It's getting feeling like they are truly heard. 
And I think that's what Larry did. He made sure that people felt, even if he didn't agree, he made sure that he made that they felt like they were heard. He treated every guest that he had and over 62 years in broadcasting and over, I don't know, 25,000 different interviews or whatever the number was. I forget they said it at a party I was at for him um, when he celebrated 60 years, uh, is that he did it in a polite fashion. And actually, probably one of the biggest knocks on Larry throughout his career was that he wasn't hard hitting enough, but people weren't listening because he was asking the questions, but he was doing it in a polite fashion. He was not, I mean, Larry, in, in the final interview that I did with him on my podcast, which was more of a Zoom last summer, he really talked about what's wrong with the media today. And he talked about that this is not the news. What you get on all of the major news networks, and I'm not going to pick on any of them, but what you're getting, and he even talked about CNN specifically, he said, That's, there's no news anymore. It's just this side versus that side and conflict and let's go at it and here we go. And that, that, that wasn't his style. And that wasn't the style of many of the great interviewers over the years and many of the great interviewers today. It's not to play, you know, gotcha, gotcha. Guy Raz, who's a personal hero of mine in the podcasting world, who mm -hmm. I was blessed to have on my show talk about his book and his show, How I Built This, he's talked about the same thing. And, you know, he has 110 million listeners, probably 109 million more, 900,873,000 more listeners <laughs> than you and I'd have. But, you know, he talked about the same thing. And, and, and I think that's just the truth is, is, is out there. You know, Larry was live when, o, when the OJ thing broke. You know, and he was talking to OJ, OJ in the car, they put him on with Larry King. And, you know, and Larry was calm and collective and gave OJ an opportunity. But he also asked him, did you do it? I mean, he asked him. And Larry has said many times, if he had sat down with the har most horrible people in history, the, the Bin Ladens, the Hitlers, the Stalins, you know, he would, he would ask a curious question, like, why? What, what, where did that come from? You know, so he'd get it in there. And I think any entrepreneur, no matter what you're doing in any kind of business, if you listen, if you're curious, if you respect people, because this is a relationship business, at least my business is, and I think every business is. Every business. And is. Ted Rubin, I don't know if you know Ted, but Ted's a great writer and does a lot of marketing. And Ted was on my show and he talks about ROR, which is the return on relationship. Everybody talks about ROI. Gary Vaynerchuk, my friend, talks about what's the ROI of your mother, which I think is great because it's all about connecting things. And I actually have a mother that has brought me amazing ROI, but that's a whole other episode too. But ROR, the return on the relationships is what matters. And I love having relationships. I love meeting you today. I love starting this new relationship. I love what PodMax is doing in bringing us all together today to create these new relationships. And that's what it's all about. That very, very true. Um, ROR is, I've heard that before. And I think that it is, it's what 
people need to focus on. Sadly, I mean, you look in one of the first conversations I have with anyone who's running a business that's having a hard time. I tell them stop focusing on what you do and trying to outline the 15 different bullet points and focus on who you can help and how you can help them and building those relationships. Because if you have five successful clients, and then you go back to them and say, Hey, do you have a friend who might be in a situation just like you, who I, I could help, they're going to recommend you out, out the door all the time. Um, I want to pivot this towards your podcast. First off, sure. I love Guy Raz. Um, how I built this, if you have not listened to that podcast as an entrepreneur, what rock are you living under? Go check it out. He's a great interviewer. And I would agree. Um, he definitely comes with curiosity and asks some great questions. But talk to us a little bit about your podcast because you focus specifically on financial literacy. You make it fun. You make it exciting. Tell me a little bit about the show. Well, the show itself, um, the name actually came from my aunt in the 1990s when I had a syndicated radio show of the same name. Back then, that show was probably more related to investing and the financial industry and interviewing the Peter Lynch's and Warren Buffett on the phone, things like that of the world. But my purpose with this show was to develop a thread of a number of things, financial literacy, financial education, certainly critical. But talking to people that are fascinating and hearing their stories, no matter what industry they're in. So I could have, I had a wonderful financial education talk with Eddie Munster. Now you may think that's the craziest thing in the world, but you know, one day I posted something on LinkedIn. It was after I think the George Floyd situation last summer. And there's a great episode from the Munsters, which was a TV show. I'm, I'm a child of the sixties. And Fred Gwynn, who's Herman Munster tells Eddie who, something happened and he grew this ridiculous beard. He's 10 years old and he was getting bullied. And he said, you know, it's not about the color of your skin. It's about the content of your character. And it, it made the rounds. I posted on LinkedIn. Somebody sends me a message and said, hey, you should talk to my friend, Butch Patrick, who played Eddie Munster. Two days later, I get a phone call sitting on my porch with my family. And I'm like, guys, I got to grab this. It's Eddie Munster. Um, but Butch Patrick talked a lot about what it was like being a child actor. And we talked about the lack of financial literacy he had and that he didn't get anything from his family and he got nothing but lies from agents and, and, and what took him down that road. The same conversation I had with Johnny Resnick, the lead singer of the Goo Goo Dolls, um, who literally happens to live down the street from me. I'm kind of lucky about that one. Um, although we did it post pandemic. So instead of sitting uh, in our backyards or in a studio, we, we were both in our houses. But Johnny talked about having this huge hit, Iris, you know, that's nominated for, you know, Song of the Year, Grammy. He wins all these awards. And the guy's almost broke because of really bad management. He grew up in Buffalo. He trusted a bunch of friends. Classic mistake that entertainers make, that athletes make. And so it doesn't matter what the industry is. I've talked to people in the spirits industry. Because I talk to, I, I like on my show to bring things that I'm interested in, that I'm passionate about, that my relationships in life, whether they're clients, whether they're friends, have given me great ideas about that I think can tell a good story. And then we can kind of wrap it up at the end and kind of tie all these things together. But you're right, there's, there's always a financial education side to it. Sometimes we go deep and we talk about financial education and we talk about the problems in schools and colleges and, and student loan debt, which is 
you know, an entire year of shows that we could do. But at the end of the day, it's really tying in these, these interesting personalities and telling a story and me being curious and listening. Absolutely. I want to go. Okay. So I've, I've seen the same thing, right? People in multiple different industries work really, really hard to make money. They either put it in a 401k or maybe they use some Vanguard, like they do something, but then they're like, who do I trust to give me advice on money? And unfortunately, usually it's their parents or it's a family friend who somehow has money, or it's somebody saying, you know, what you should do with your money is you should do X, Y, Z. And half the time that person doesn't have any money, but they've heard a hot tip. They've watched CNN. They've watched Jim Cramer, like somewhere, somewhere they got some advice and because the person trusts that person i mean just how you're talking about lead singer of the goo goo dolls right amazing artist tons of income coming in but then trust somebody mc hammer everybody's heard the mc hammer story i mean guy makes a fortune has no financial literacy no idea what to do with money um i want to Billy talk Joel trusted his brother-in-law lost everything bruce springsteen who i could talk about that's a whole separate podcast in my life but bruce you know his first agent totally signed the wrong contracts he didn't make money till the river and born in the usa and he really started making it on born in the usa and that tour so he had 15 years of incredible music and you know he was in tremendous debt so if you're listening to this i want what i want you to think about is if it happens to people like that it's probably happening to you as well so let's talk about first off the no like trust factor you build through authentic communication being curious getting to know people um let's just talk about financial literacy a little bit like where do you think our government goes wrong the question that i wrote down this morning and i've had with a lot of my entrepreneur friends is like fifth grade, we were taught to balance a checkbook in school. Our, our teacher taught us that most of my friends did not have that experience. That's very rare. That's very rare. Super rare. Um, and I think especially like everything now banking's all online. People are like, Oh, I've got some money in my account. I don't have to worry about it. I mean, I, the number, I think it's one out of 40 people I heard actually uses a written budget. Um, if people are wondering about financial literacy, what do you think? I, th- I think people have heard you should write a budget down. Why do you think people don't do it? Well, I think a few, few reasons, um, for the same reason that people spend, you know, people will plan a trip to Disney, let's say, and they will, you know, they will plan it. Let's say they're driving and they're going to put a map together and they will make every single arrangement. They know exactly when they're going to do Space Mountain or whatever ride they're going to do. And they're very great on on planning these types of things that are fun. People don't like to plan things that aren't fun. All right. That's just that's part of it is human nature. Um, my wife's been bugging me for five years. Like we're not going to live forever. We kind of have to make plans on what's going to happen when we're gone. Although I just heard about a great thing where they can cremate you and turn it into a record. So I, I, I think I want a vinyl record and half the songs will be Bruce. And, but anyway, getting back to your point, I, I think it's not taught in schools. Um, one of the reasons I ran for the board of education and was elected twice um, here and served two terms in, in New Jersey was I wanted to 
do something about that issue. And I was able to get involved with the bigger board for the whole state and involved with the governor and involved with, with this woman, Neil Godfrey, I mentioned before. And we were able to mandate financial literacy in high school. So you can't graduate high school without a one semester course in financial literacy, which teaches very basic stuff, but will teach budgeting, getting your first apartment, rental insurance, 401ks, just the basic stuff that you, you at least need to know a little bit about. But you know the education system has failed us. It continues to fail us. The No Child Left Behind system took away uh, the arts, but they, you know, everybody talked about STEAM, um, which is great. But honestly, 97% of us that sat in these classes that I absolutely hated in algebra and calculus and trigonometry that didn't fit what I'm doing. Um, it might fit what my friend's son, who's literally a rocket scientist, is doing. But for most of us, it doesn't. And I, that time could have been so much better spent teaching real world skills. So I think you got the education system on the one hand that's absolutely failed us here. And again, we're 14th in the world. Um, and then you have parents. And then you have parents that grew up in this generation that don't either feel comfortable about it or they're, they're timid and use, you know, the best advice I could have is they've got to use opportunities. So when we had the financial crisis back in 2008 and 2009, trust me, I was not in a great position. I worked in this industry. At the time I was with a firm that was owned by a bank that looked like it was going under, all right? So I sat down with my kids who were early in their teenage years and I wanted them to understand what was happening. So that month I paid my bills in front of my kids but I really kind of wanted to make a big deal about it. So I got everything in cash and show them how much had to go towards uh, you know, our mortgage or how much had to go towards their education and how much had to go towards um, you know, the cable bill. You really want to play whatever it was, Game Boy or Nintendo at the time, this is what it's going to cost to keep the lights on in this house, the water running, all of these things, the cars that we have and show them, look what's left. There's nothing left, you know, we, we're struggling. And I grew up in a time where my dad went through a tough time in the recession in the 1970s and never said a word to me about it. You know, my parents, you know, kind of sheltered us from it. That's their generation. Um, and, you know, I wish they didn't. I, 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 you know, it's a conversation I wound up having with my dad because we were actually partners together um, at Merrill Lynch for seven years. Um, so I had the opportunity to, to kind of give him a hard time about that. But the family has to do a better job. The education system has to do a better job. Um, and we have to just focus on it. It's not, it, like literally is not rocket science. You could learn the basics. And what the last thing I'll say is that people tend to focus on the hot thing of the day, all right? Whatever it is, and I'm not gonna get into any of it. But in my opinion, networks like some that exist, I'm not going to name them, that exist that are telling people how to invest, very dangerous. They are entertainment networks. They are not news networks. Well, Bloomberg your, is a news network. I will tell you that one. To your point, though, I, I like 100%. What you were saying with like where Larry King said, you know, the news networks of today are about setting up sides and having conflict because that is what sells advertising and that is what unfortunately 99% of humans were drawn to a fire first right oh what's the train wreck going on over there financial news in my opinion 
is the same. I'm not a professional in it, but it's the same. It's like, what's blowing up? What's, what's melting down? How can we get more eyes on it? That's not financial advice. I want to go back to your financial literacy talk just for a second. First off, my hat is off to you for sharing with your children what you were going through. I think that's what stops a lot of parents is one, they don't feel like they're, they feel vulnerable, right? They don't feel like they are good at what they're doing. And I don't think they know a lot of times because 99, 95% of families aren't operating on a budget. Um, they're not operating their living paycheck to paycheck. They don't want their kids to see that. They want their kids to have a better life. What would be a very general rule of thumb that you would encourage parents to show their kids to get them at least interested in it. Um, if they're not using a budget, if the parents aren't financially set up, what's something that they can do that can at least move their kids in a better direction than them? I just wanted to take a short break from this episode and let you know about one of the biggest secrets I have found when it comes to converting webinars. If you have a webinar and it's not converting as well as you want, or if you're thinking about building a webinar and you wanna grab this tip, it has helped numerous people one of my clients, we actually doubled their conversion rate just by implementing this one simple step. And you can grab it at deathtobadwebinars.com or by clicking in the show notes below. All right, let's jump back to the episode. Well, it's interesting you mentioned hat. You're, Steve's wearing a hat that says clarity. And I think at the end of the day, that's, that's the bottom line is you gotta provide clarity. You have to put it out there in front of them. And you, 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 know, you, you can't shelter your kids from the real world. And that's a mistake that parents make. Parents want to be friends with their kids, you know, the whole helicopter parent generation. Um, in a million years, I would have never expected my son to actually work in this industry. And he actually also works at UBS and, and he's very interested in sustainable investing. So that's kind of the area that, that he focused on, um, totally different area than me. Um, but I guess something got through to him and, and he was really interested in it. And I, I, I think that, you know, it, it starts, there, there are very basic books out there. I mean, we just go back to books. I, I, I'm a little less about the videos, but I haven't seen much there. But there are basic books that can just teach an education about all of these things. Um, I mentioned Neil Godfrey. Uh, I'd be happy to give you a link to just some of her basic books that she wrote, uh, Money Doesn't Grow on Trees, which is basically how to raise financially responsible children. It's all in her book. I followed it. It's everything from teaching a jar system with allowances. So some with short-term goals, long-term goals, charity, all of these things. And you start young, you start when they're three years old, all right? And you just give them these little lessons and you don't give them, you know, the free reign at Starbucks and, and everything else, um, you know, obviously get a job. I think the, a lot of the, a lot of kids, you know, never work. And, and uh, I, you know, our kids both worked when they were teenagers. Um, I'm not saying they were digging ditches, doing anything like that. I certainly wasn't either, but whatever it is, wherever you are, um, the best way to learn the value of a buck is to live off of it. And for me, moving to California when I was 23 and making very little money and working from job to job to job and realizing that I was basically existing at that point almost off my dad's credit card, that was a shot in the face to me saying like, I have to take control and I have to do something here. This is not, this is not working out. Um, and 
one step moved into another step. But at the end of the day, there's books, there's, um, you know, there's, there's some great blogs, I think, that do it. There are, some, there are some good podcasts out there, but you have to be very careful because I think that everyone has, uh, many of financial podcasts have that element of trying to sell themselves or sell their business or sell something. You really want to stick with uh, a company like EverFi, which does great, great educational work. Khan Academy has some really great educational financial classes, things like that. We have a program actually at UBS with EverFi um, where we work with our clients and help their kids. Um, I used to sit down with my clients' kids when they were 13 years old and they'd be bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah and talk to them about the money. And yeah. I would ask them the Peter Lynch questions, you know, like, yeah. what companies do you, do you like? You know, what, what would you want to in, invest in or whatever? So it's the basics. It's not anything that, you know, you have to go get a degree in uh, at all, but something is better than nothing. And I, I, I feel like I am seeing more these days of parents taking responsibility because I think we've been through so much with the financial crisis, with the pandemic, with what the, the you know, the, the craziness yeah. in the markets um, and all these other things that are out there that you, you have to help give clarity to, to your kids at a young age. Start young. Start young, a simple budget. I mean, my dad used to take me down to the bank and we would deposit, I think, $3 a week into my account. And I had the bank book that got stamped. I know that's not a thing anymore, but you can still help them see it online, help them exactly. watch their account grow. Exactly. And you got, you had a, this, your dad, your dad did right by you. And that it's, it's very, very basic things to, to teach that. There's a, I'll, I will throw a pitch in for a book called Broke Millennial. Um, by a woman named Erin Lowry, who writes a blog of the same. And she's actually written a book um, on the basics and even taking it through to investing. But, you know, Erin is someone who could have gone to Dartmouth and went to St. Bonaventure because she realized how much more money she could have saved and just still get the kind of education she needed for what she wanted to do, which was eventually be a writer. Um, she started out working for David Letterman and then ultimately got uh, into this world and realize that millennials need help with money. And, and Aaron, I think of the, of our, of the, of the new generation of the Gen Z and the millennial generation really speaks very, very well to that. Um, so, you know, like I said, there's books that can help people too. So I have, I have a question. This, this is something my entrepreneur friends and I have talked about a lot. If I could go back to college and not go college cost me 130 K. I paid it off three months ago. I'm 43. If uh, my thought process is that financial literacy, if you, if you are good at managing your finances, you can have any job that you want. Whereas there are plenty of doctors, chiropractors, and lawyers out there who make high mid six figures and still struggle financially because they don't have those skills. They make a lot of money, just like Bruce Springsteen, just like, Google dolls, right? They you making a lot of money. Well, it looks great on paper. If you don't know how to manage it, you still end up in the poorhouse and struggling. Whereas somebody who has great financial literacy and skills, I mean, my mom sat me down when I was seven. I wanted a pair of Air Jordans, and she said, "We can't afford those. If you want those, you need to you need to get a job." I went home and grabbed the lawnmower and mowed yards for the next two days till I had a hundred bucks to buy them at five dollars a lawn. 
And that, like, I, I tell that story a lot. If you've listened to this podcast before, you might've heard it. The reason that I did that, and I feel like that's part of, like, that set my life on a trajectory without any of us knowing it, that it, it taught me how to manage money. So I would love your thought on that question, and then we'll wrap this up. But do you think financial literacy is, if you don't go to college, let's say you got a job as a pipe fitter, an electrician, even a waitress, I, I waited tables even after college, um, you can get a job doing one of those things where you could still manage money very well and end up with a great retirement, a great life. Whereas you could go to college, get a great job. And because you don't have financial skills, end up. Yeah. College has absolutely nothing to do with how, how you're going to, how your relationship with money is. Um, if you're going to go to college, study more psychology, because at the end of the day, uh, financial literacy and financial education is about psychology um, men, women, and money, every relationship has an accelerator and a break and being, being able to deal with all of those things. Um, what you did, what my friend Gary Vaynerchuk did by selling all his baseball cards as a kid and, and every, and the lemonade stands. And I interviewed a young woman who, when she was six years old, got stung by a bee and her parents, really smart parents, wanted wanted to get her afraid of that, not be afraid. So they taught her, Michaela is her name. And Michaela got really interested in bees and studied bees and found out that she had, a, I think her grandmother had this recipe for lemonade and she wanted to raise money to help these bees. And she started working and suddenly she created this lemonade. And in Austin, Texas, when she was, I think, eight years old, a little company called Whole Foods said, oh, let's try to sell that. And then they introduced her to a little TV show called Shark Tank. And she at nine years old went on Shark Tank and she was given quarter of a million dollars by Damon Johns. She now is running a multi-million dollar business. She's 18 years old. Um, her book, um, Be Fearless, B-E-E, -E, tells her story. She is a wonderful, wonderful young woman. Um, and I just love, you know, and it's now sold in Whole Foods and all kinds of supermarket, the lemonade that she has, Me and the Bees Lemonade. But it's, it's, it's parents nurturing their kids and, and thinking outside the box. Um, and I think, like I said, you, you know, when it comes to college, it's not for everybody. I see a lot of people with a lot of student debt. College makes a lot of sense for a lot of careers. Without a doubt, you need that degree to do a lot of different jobs, okay? But do you need to go to the top 10 school? Do you need to go to a school? I mean, when I look at GW where I went, which was eight grand and now is 60 grand, um, I honestly, to me, I don't think it's worth it. I don't think it's worth it. I, I you know, happy my kids went to state colleges. Um, and I, they got fantastic educations and they both got great jobs. Um, and you got to look at the risk reward with student debt and it's a problem. And, you know, you're lucky you got it paid off by your early forties. I mean, I see people 15 years older than you, including doctors, including, you know, because they're the ones borrowing all that money for medical school, thinking they're going to have that great payoff, but then they have no idea how to market their business. They don't understand, they have no bedside manner, you know, Again, certain anesthesiologists are going to make a ton of money no matter what, and surgeons. But in general, most physicians um, struggle. struggle with a lot of student debt. It's a problem. 
Mitch, we're going to wrap this up, but I want first off, who were named three guests on your podcast that people should absolutely tune in and listen to? What are your, what are your top ones that come up for you? Wow, that's a great question. I've actually never thought about that. Um, I'm going to have to put Guy Raz uh, number one because um, Guy, uh, I interviewed him in the middle of this pandemic and Guy's been going back and interviewing all of these amazing CEOs like John Foley at Peloton and talking about resilience. So I learned, and I think people will learn so much from what he talked about uh, in the resilience series with his interviews. And I think we encapsulated that in our interviews. So I'm really, really proud of that. Um, we've talked about Larry a lot, but I, I just think listening to, especially the first interview I did with him really is kind of a primer on life. And it's not just his story, but the lessons that he learned, I think is, is, is really beautiful. Um, and the third interview is going to probably be a little crazy, but it's my mom. I interviewed my mom, who's turning 94 in a few weeks, um, right after she turned about 92 years old, because my mom, out of nowhere, at 90 years old, became a celebrity, thanks to Steve Van Zandt, who got her to introduce a concert, got her to dance on stage with Bruce Springsteen and Steven, which turned into being the face of a major ad campaign for J-Date. Um, that was all over the country on billboards. And my mom's always had this attitude since she was a kid, as you never know. And my niece, Fanny, wound up winning the Rachel Ray cookbook competition and now has this thriving business in, 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 in the cooking world and, and on the Food Channel because of my mom. She grew up in West Philadelphia. She talks about the depression. I, I, I'm biased. I know people interviewing their mom might be not the fascinating show, but if people that know my mom, and thanks to Steve Van Zandt, who got her, her on Twitter and Instagram and everywhere else, I think they'll find that a really interesting episode and be able to relate to their own moms. Awesome. That I love. I love that so much. So if you guys want to check out Mitch, check out Financially Speaking, the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on with us, Mitch. Steve, this was a pleasure. Really had a great time. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. To everyone else listening, until next time, take action, change lives, and make money. We'll see you soon. Thanks for checking out today's show. Do you want the fast and easy Cliff Notes version of the actionable steps from today's episode? If so, go to actionbullets.com and download yours today. Also, if you're looking to start using story selling in your business and have stories do 90% of the hard work for you, Grab my free course at storyselling.how today. Till next time, take action, change lives, and make money. We'll see you soon.